Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. What is it? He doesn't hate all of us, just but some be, of us. But before we get too deep into that, let's talk about you guys. Let's start with Kafir. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Uh, uh, my name is Kafir. I like long, moonlit walks on the beach. Romantic didn't know what. Uh, uh, my name on Twitch is Cave Geek Art. Uh, I make fantasy maps mostly on on leather, and um, I'm, I'm a nerd. And I'm also the the uh, flavor text adventures is my my brainchild, uh, which we'll get to later. But um, uh, and all of these people work for me except Mike. He works with me. <laughs> That's it. All right, my turn. Uh, yeah. I am Mike Vacara. I am the co-director of Flavor Text Adventures. I'm a illustrator and graphic designer and book designer. So uh, this is a little bit of an unusual project in that uh, I don't actually do any of the artwork for it. We've got Joby and Tim and great folks like that for this, and we'll get more into what we do with Flavor Text. Um, yeah. Tim, go for it. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm a, I'm a tattooer and a illustrator, pretty much just a, a jack of all trades when it comes to what I can do or, or want to do with art. I try to stick my fingers in a lot of different pies, but uh, I'm excited to be a part of the Flavor Text team and even more excited to be here now. So, yeah. What is Flavor Text? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're fine. You're fine, man. All right. But the big well, question. Flavor text what, is, uh, yeah. Yeah. What so we, that? We're going back to cave? What we, yeah. what we, what we really want to know, yeah, cave, I'd like you to talk a little bit about flavor text, what it is, why should we care about it? How is it going to change our lives? Um, oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, flavor text, uh, the little short, uh, the not so short history of it is that, um, Back in 20, uh, I think it was 17, maybe 2018. Um, 2018, I was at Origins Game Fair in Ohio. It's a, it's a gaming convention that's been around for decades. And uh, my, I, I streamed from, from there as Cave Geek Art, as I usually do. And my stream mascot is a cave troll for some reason. Don't ask me why. And the conversation kind of went to what would Cave Troll taste like? I don't know how that happened. But the conversation as I was standing at my booth and talking to people on the stream, what would Cave Troll taste like? And I thought, you know, I have no idea, but I know who would. And I'm wearing rubber gloves because I was just about to deal with it. <laughs> um, but um, 
So I said, I know who would. The, the, the folks, the fine folks of Cubicle 7, who are the company who used to publish the One Ring role-playing game, they just recently stopped. But um, they had a booth there, so I thought, if anyone would know, it would be them. So I went, I took the camera and, you know, with my phone and, and the stream, and I went over to their booth and I asked to speak to the, the guy that was there. And I'm like, hey, you know, I've got a question for you. Do you write any of this stuff? And he goes, yeah, I, I wrote a couple of these books. I go, okay, I've got a question for you. What would Cape Troll taste like? And that started, uh, we went down a, a goblin hole, not a, not a rabbit hole. And it was like a, a, a half hour conversation. And uh, it was pretty fascinating. So we, on, on the way back to my booth, the idea just sprang into my head of what if there was a, a D&D supplement or just general role, tabletop fantasy role-playing game supplement that would talk about things like that, about what it would be like to eat certain monsters and what would it do to you if you did. And immediately came to mind my friend Adam, um, Adam Lawson. He is an old friend of mine uh, who I played D&D with for a long time. And he played a character called Alton Green, who's a halfling chef bard that basically uses cooking as his performance. Yeah, when he inspires his, group, his teammates, he sprinkles spices on them and things like that. And so I called, uh, I called Adam, I think that day even, and asked him if he'd be willing to let me use Alton as the main character of this. And the idea is that Alton Green the most fabulous halfling chef in the land, who's well known for, for cooking various exotic monsters. He's writing his, his greatest works, his, his memoirs. So every chapter is a different monster, and he tells the story of his adventure of how he, you know, some sort of encounter with that monster. And then gives you the recipe for cooking that monster in real life. So that's, uh, and that's Mike's domain. Uh, no, Mike on the on the stream is is what that that way this way. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that's Mike's domain, and um, being being trained as a chef, and the recipes are real and for the for you to cook at home with obviously with substitutes of what you could use uh, if you can't find troll meat or unicorn or whatever. And then we also provide the uh, the third part of the chapter. So there's the story, the recipe, and the third part is the gaming content, which right now is mostly for uh, for fifth edition. When we started, it was fifth edition and Pathfinder, but we quickly realized that's a whole lot of work um, to do both. So we're focusing on fifth edition for now, and it's basically taking elements of the story and the recipe and bringing them into the game, into the gaming table rather than the dinner table. So that if your character wants to eat this monster, what do you have to do to cook it? Or what would it do to you? And sometimes because eating that monster isn't necessarily going to do anything special, then it may have some, you know, maybe a map of the dungeon from the story or a magical item from the story or an NPC. The, and there are also always questions for dungeon masters on how to um, take the story and and all that and, and kind of flesh it out so it, it, we call it a pinch of inspiration because alton really is is not a is not a musician he's not your, your usual bard that just sings songs and, and plays a, 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 an instrument he's a storyteller and, and chef so he wants dungeon masters to have the tools to kind of take those stories and make them their own stories so there might be several questions that about details he left out of the of his story intentionally and I'll admit that sometimes they're, sometimes they're not intentionally left out, sometimes because we can't figure out 
<laughs> what to say. So, hey, we'll just ask questions about this and make it seem like it's on purpose. But um, yeah, so the, it's it's cool. Uh, you should check it out. And it's it's been a whole hell of a lot of fun. So a follow-up question. How many hours per week do each of you spend working on flavor text adventures? About a thousand. <laughs> per week? <laughs> uh, not a whole lot of time. I think, uh, I, think uh, I, I wouldn't know because from my role in it is to mostly coordinate, manage uh, all the different people um and and come up with ideas and talk to other contacts and things so it's hard to quantify that time um but mike tim and joby could answer that maybe more accurately yeah it's really going to depend on the week and it's going to depend on what i'm doing that week as culinary director um that means i have to actually do the cooking and uh that means getting a photographer in the kitchen and doing things in a specific way so that those things can be documented. And moreover, uh, you know, I don't just pull these recipes out of my brain and declare them done. A lot of the times there's several iterations. Uh, well, let's, you know, we kind of want to do this. Let's find some recipes online and try some different ways. And well, this worked or this didn't work or, you know, I liked this a lot, but it needs something else. Um, you know, for example, the unicorn burger probably took about 60 hours in the kitchen. We made that rainbow challah oh, wow. bun over and over and over <laughs> and over. Um, it was easily one, like I, there's more time in that bread than there was in the chimerical, which is an out, a recipe that when done correctly, the first time takes 16 hours. Um, so there's that. And then, of course, uh, I also handle all of the layout. So I'm writing the recipe with instructions that someone else could use. I'm putting it all together in InDesign, uh, making sure that things go up on Patreon. So there are some weeks where it's two hours and it's mostly having a meeting with someone. Uh, and then there are other weeks where it's 20 hours because I've had to make the same dish four times because something went wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As it often does, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, much to Mike was saying is like it, it does depend on on what the the task at hand is, what the assignment that has been handed down to me is. That 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 kind of uh, gives me a general idea of how much time is going to be needed to do some of the artwork. Um, but ultimately, it. it you know, some things are easier than others. It depends on if it's game content versus just like uh, like a snippet from the story or an illustration from the story. Um, so the and it, and it kind of breaks down in the, in the phases. At least when I'm when I'm working, I, I try to quick rough sketch, send that up to Cave. Cave gives gives some uh, some art um, direction and, and and critique, and then from there, uh, there's like a refining phase and then a final a final copy approval kind of thing so some sometimes it all goes quick sometimes it it uh it kind of it needs to sort of be folded over on itself a few times so i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to, to mark an uh exact hour count because it, it for me it does vary some sometimes everything flows like water and other times like mud so at least in my for me anyway i don't know
Yeah. Speaking, uh, as you know, part of the, the creative team myself, I, I sort of jokingly alluded to it earlier about being, you know, biased, but, um, it is true. Full disclosure. I am, uh, part of the team at flavor text. I do some of the artwork myself and, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the creative process. It's, you know, it's, it's bumps and bruises as much as it is anything else. And going into it, I sort of always have a inclination for how much time it's going to take. Um, but then it's, you know, there's a lot that the, uh, the herding cats, as we like to say, uh, can be tricky sometimes and passing things up and down the, the chain is, um, but the, the actual, like, you know, for me, the actual like drawing time will be between an hour to to two hours. The um, the the drawings, you know, all of the information and links to flavor text will be in the show notes and everything, so people will be able. Kadir, to Kadir, what are you working on? What's that? Cave is up here doing something, and all I can see is his arm moving underneath his underneath the screen, and it's yeah, yeah, with the with the with the gloves on. This is super awkward, man. Yeah. I'm trying to. Hey. I'm trying to have a conversation here, dude. Like, why, why don't we? Why don't we? Mike have your full not me. <laughs> the people on uh, Spotify and Apple have no idea what you guys are talking about. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. They can use. They can use the uh, deepest, uh, darkest uh, parts of their imagination. You know, this is called the art condition. I have a condition where I just have to keep my hands busy, and so. Um, I, I got a multitask, so I'm just cleaning some 3D printed as long, parts. As long as we're totally off the rails, I, I want to mention that I, I have a t-shirt idea um, where it will say, don't laugh, it's a condition, and I'm going to use your face cave as the... Uh, Sweet. The, the logo. As long as, I get, as long as I get royalties, a penny <laughs> off of every shirt. Uh, okay, sounds I'll good. I'll be a millionaire. I forgot entirely what I was saying about how awesome I am, but that's okay. Right. Um, I I want to I want to go back and kind of reiterate and itemize the content that um, that comes out of Flavor Text. You, you get story, you get recipe, and you get game content. That's a oh, that's like a yeah. and and it's all like very rich and like well developed again i'm biased but i am doing my best to speak objectively it is like very well developed and uh tasty if you may allow me uh but this is how this is um presented on a patreon page if you are a subscriber uh you do you get every one of those you don't get every one of those or like every yes. tier of uh, subscription. Oh, you do. Okay. It well, it depends on 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 the level of your of your support. Mm -hmm. uh, so for the the dishwasher level, which is the 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 lowest one, it's one dollar a month. You get access to just to read the stories and see the art, the the story art. So Joby's art, for the most part. Uh, and we've had other artists uh, throughout the the two years we've been going, uh, and other writers as well. But um, so that's for the one dollar. You get just to read cool short fantasy stories that are hopefully funny and entertaining and see amazing art uh for the three dollar i don't remember what that is uh what we call it uh it's um you get to see the stories and the recipes and get the posts and then actually get pdfs that in of the of the final polished you know sort of book style story and recipe so it's full photograph instructions recipe 
um, oh shush, sorry. Anyway, um, so you get to see those and download those in full. And then for the $5 uh, level, you get everything. You get the stories, the recipes, and the gaming content in full PDFs. Is Patreon the only way which uh, people can get content, or do you also put it on like DriveThruRPG or other? Right now, Patreon is the only way, uh, but it will very soon be on DriveThru. So by the end of the year, it'll it'll all be on DriveThru. Obviously, Patreon is uh, is you know if you want to break the system, game the system. Patreon is a cheaper way. (laughs) (laughs) I know we were already on DriveThru, so shows what I know. Um, so, Mike, I oh sorry, were you was there more that you wanted to say about the the Patreon? Uh oh, well, there's uh there are higher tiers that uh, we've only had somebody claim once, which are and those higher tiers are basically meant for a one time thing. If you want to like uh, include your own character or somebody you know in uh-huh. a story, you can sort of back it at a little bit of a higher of a higher tier and then send us the information, and we'll Alton will include your your character in the story and things like that. Uh, it's not meant for someone to do, uh, you know, on a, on a permanent basis, but Hey, if somebody wanted to do that, that would be great, but we won't be able to put you in a, every story. So. Right. Right. Um, if I can, Mike, I want to go to you specifically for a second. Um, cause I want to go into what you said a little bit more about how much time you put into the rainbow uh, hollow bread. Um, people won't know what we're talking about, so I think it would do you justice for having put that much work into it. That we'll have like a special link in the show notes just to that specific information. Sure. Uh, and you, you that you said that that you know took you about like sixty hours, and um, obviously like some recipes will be less or or more. But this is a concept that kind of fascinates me. Like I, I'm a terrible cook first of all um and the idea of coming up with a recipe thing that is new you know you're not just like uh you know one-to-one transferring something that you found in a in a cookbook you're putting this spin on it in this like innovative sort of way and then presenting it in this um fantasy setting you know where this was a fantasy creature how what's your can you Talk a little bit about like the creative process of coming up with a a, a food recipe and then how you adapt it into flavor text. So just kind of starting at the beginning with that, like uh, there is nothing new under the sun. And I think as artists, we encounter that a lot. Um, But in cooking, it is particularly true. Um, Some things are just never going to taste right together. And some things are always going to taste right together. And we've discovered that thousands of years ago. Um, It's kind of like dumplings or noodles or whatever. Like every culture has their own version and you can call it pasta or ramen or whatever. But, you know, at some point it's, it's boiled bread. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, I don't want to say like, Hey, I sit down and I think about it and it just springs fully formed from my skull, like Athena. Um, you are always cribbing things from other recipes. And sometimes we will start from a place of, uh, we, we wanna do goblins and we think that in a fantasy setting, goblins are gonna be like bacon. So let's research interesting recipes for bacon. 
Um, and there's a there's another chef, Whitney Libby, who I work with, and we toss a lot of ideas back and forth. We share recipes back and forth, and we're like, well, this idea is interesting, and this, you know, but I'm not sure. And then we kind of take it into the kitchen and we start experimenting. And a lot of the times, those experiments are, let's use this recipe that we found and just make it and just see how it goes. Um, one of the interesting things about the internet and there being a thousand recipes for any idea you can possibly think of is that a lot of those were never tested. It's like immediately evident. Um, sometimes you can tell from the comments if enough people have tried it that like, hey, that doesn't work. Um, videos on Facebook and TikTok are like super, super full of this of, hey, you can make flan in the milk container that it comes in in the microwave. And then anyone ever who attempts to do it just makes a giant mess of their microwave. It does not work <laughs> on a chemical level. It's never going to happen. You mean people are lying to me on the internet, dude? What the fuck? I don't man? know why. I don't know what they seek to gain from it. Oh, they're getting uh, rich. Yeah. Um, I'm actually three Muppets in a trench coat. Um, <laughs> so everyone lies on the internet. Um, but then we start experimenting with it and we're like, this one's more effective and this one isn't good. Maybe about, you know, maybe we change this uh, quantity of an ingredient, maybe add this spice. We do this a little bit longer. Um, you know, there's the, the, all of that stuff comes from somewhere else. It's very, very rare that you wake up one morning and you're like this truly unique and genuine idea. Um, with the, the example of the rainbow holla for the unicorn thing, um, you know, our whole process is Kefir and I get together and we kind of talk about what monsters we want to feature over the course of the next year. And those are monsters that we think are going to be interesting, that we think are going to lend themselves towards, uh, interesting outcomes and, specifically things that aren't going to get us in legal trouble because there's plenty of flagship monsters that are just a no-no. You can't do it. Um, we're going to get us in hot water. So sorry, you we, said we work our way around flag? that. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. You said flagship monster. So like wizards, uh, there are monsters that they consider to be um, core to their product identity mm, okay. and don't speak their name. Oh, interesting. Right. So there's there's some, you know, classic monsters that will not ever be featured because we can't. Uh, you always come up with your own version of it. Like instead of, call it, instead of calling it a mind flare, you can call it like a uh, squid monster. Yeah, you could totally do that. Uh, that is just that that's rolling the dice, if you'll accept the pun. Um, so we uh, we're a little I'm a little bit more conservative than that. I'm like, let's exhaust the book. Uh, before we get there, let's just cook a halfling and see how people take that. Anyway, we had come up with the idea of including unicorns and Cave and I agreed that it'd be really, really funny to take this super majestic creature and just decide that like it's pub food. It's, it, it's gotten mangled. It's gotten mashed. It's not possible. And then it really dovetailed well with the story of, you know, how, how do you, how do we make our character who we want to be very likable? How does he come upon uh, <laughs> unicorn meat? We can't have him kill a unicorn. Um, so spoilers, he 
gets some unicorn meat that's that's met an unfortunate end. You'll have to actually go and read the story. Um, and it can't be used as anything except ground chuck. Uh, there, there's no unicorn fillet to be had. Um, so we decided a burger. And like, you know, we're gonna go really classic for the burger itself, beef, spices, uh, cheese. We made a whiskey glaze that has glitter in it because why the hell not? Um, but the real fantastic portion is this challah bread uh, bun that is rainbow because of course it is for unicorns. The challenge there is challah is just a very challenging bread to bake in the first place. And bread in and of itself can be very challenging. Uh, You're dealing with humidity, you're dealing with temperatures, you're dealing with proofing. Um, Everybody who's been through quarantine knows that like, yeah, you can figure (laughs) out bread, but it's kind of, again, uh, taking your chances every time. So challah is is particularly difficult because it's supposed to be very, very light and fluffy. And when you do multicolored dough, there's really two ways to achieve it. The one is to make five batches of dough with a different color and then try and swirl them together. Or you make one batch, you cut it into five chunks after it's proofed, you try and mix your dye in and then swirl them all together again. And it doesn't really matter which approach you take, but you have an incredible amount of work to get done. And again, this is a super fluffy dough you can't work it too much with your hands. Um, I, in particular, I have very, very warm hands. So like the first time I did this, it was <laughs> super dense because the bread started cooking while I was kneading it. And then serious? I got it out and it was just like, it was it was like, oh cool, sourdough. This is garbage. Oh wow. Um, we finally got it, thanks in, in great part to Whitney, who is much more experienced with bread than I am and, you know, has, uh, you know, incredible determination and we got it um and then we made this pastry horn like the unicorn's horn and then we filled it with queso and dumped it over the top of it so you've got this you know whiskey glazed glitter beef patty with rainbow fluffy bread and pastry and gooey cheese all over it there was something mentioned uh I want to divert just for a second. There was something um, mentioned in the chat, Ali Briggs art that uh, she said about um, in, in, re- in regards to what you said about the, the flagship monsters of wizards and D and D. And there's some monsters that you just can't touch. And she pointed out that um, the license agreement in the DMS guild um, can allow you to uh, utilize the, uh, the, the trademark or the copyright material of um of D and and wizards um who did we lose oh okay came back uh and then and kafir you responded in the chat that through dm's guild uh wizards of the coast then just owns your stuff um can we hash that out a, a little bit more um because we we had um some D content creators on in um episode two i believe it was yeah and they uh one of them in particular posts a lot of their stuff um all of their stuff uh, the majority of their content is on uh the the dm's guild um keeping in mind that this is a patreon setup for for flavor text is there still like an uh an overarching reason for um why dm's guild wouldn't be a good outlet at all um 
Kafir, can you talk about that a little bit? Push to talk. Push to talk, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> um, the it's. I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent a bad idea, but it depends on what you're trying to do. And the biggest hurdle with with DMs Guild is that is the exclusivity of it. So if you post something on 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 DMs Guild, you are not allowed to post it anywhere else. We could not have a Patreon if mm. we if we posted the stuff on DMs Guild, and Beyond that, I don't know this. I don't know the exact specifics of their licensing agreement, but it also they also pretty much own it, uh, or own a, a large portion of it. Not to mention take a, a large portion of of any any money you make from it. Yeah, I think it's so, like fifty percent, right? I think at least that. Oh. At least uh, might be more, um, and. Especially at this stage where we are, I mean, we've been doing it for almost two years, but content-wise, we're still fairly fairly young, fairly new, and we're not sure where we're going to take it, etc. Um, we we don't want to limit ourselves. And so you can put things on DriveThruRPG and still post anywhere, everywhere else, or you can put it only on DMs Guild. And sure, you get like you, your guest on that podcast said when you put things on the DMs Guild, it goes directly in front of your perfect target audience, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to compete with anything. Well, you're competing with with all the rest of the DMs stuff that's there, but you don't have to compete with the rest of the world to try to make the DMs people see your stuff. So in that sense, it is an advantage, but you're still limiting yourself to one single market. We couldn't do a Kickstarter, which we want to do, right? So, uh, and there might be ways out of it with their with their licensing uh, language, but uh -huh. I haven't looked at it close enough because simply the fact that we couldn't do a Patreon, we couldn't, you know, there are people out there who use Patreon and don't use DMs Guild, yeah, for example. So, but now, so, is that is it true that that you wouldn't be able to have a Patreon if you just put out like you know a like a one shot module? you know, a one shot flavor text module that was that incorporated some specific Wizards of the Coast con D and D content. Um and then the you know and then the next month on Patreon you did something that was not at all uh related. Can can you can there not that's, be a that's an interesting question. I honestly don't know the answer to that because mm -hmm. I, without... Mike? My understanding and I'm, I, this is, of course, if I'm understanding your question correctly. Let's say we wanted to do the Mind Flayer, which is one of their flagship monsters. We could solely put it out through DMs Guild and not put it out on Patreon. And then next month, when we did something that was not protected by their licensing agreement, put it out on Patreon. Mm -hmm. um, but really, you know, what you're talking about is market share and, and where the audience is and where we're most likely to capture the audience. Um, and that's tough because what's the conversion rate going to be from DMs Guild to Patreon? Uh, Patreon is not a discovery platform, but it is a loyalty building platform. Um, so if we, do, if we put out, you know, a protected one on DMs Guild, are those people ever going to find the unicorn content on Patreon? Uh, and really... Our focus since we started this has, has been let's build a, a roster of enthusiastic fans. It's not about 
getting the sales for for one month or one particular piece of content, but building something that's sustainable uh, and we can continue to grow month after month. I'd rather get one or two new patrons every month than have one month where we get a hundred sales and then never see those people again. Yeah, that's fair enough. And and I don't bring up any of these questions to be like, hey guys, why aren't you doing this? But more to explore the issue just for because this you know this podcast is for the sake of a wide range of creatives that might have questions about these kinds of things so they're they're worth investigating uh that just no you can't what you can do regarding those monsters specifically the the, their brand identity monsters which is what a lot of a lot of third-party publishers do is they'll rename that monster reskin it rename it right so instead of a instead of a beholder it's an ocular orb instead of a mind flayer it's you know brain sucker i don't know right there's always, so there are ways around it and as long as you're as long as the stats aren't exactly one-to-one as long as the art isn't one-to-one copied concepts you know so there's there's some leeway there and it's and it's okay and and especially when you're when you're a little guy and in the gaming industry everyone's a little guy other than wizards of the coast they're not going to come after you if you've gone to that effort of of doing that so mm-hmm. But you still right. can't post it on, you know, on on DMs Guild if you want to be able to post it elsewhere. I would like to mention also, by the way, that uh, the the lovely gentlemen here are not the only people involved in Flavor Text. We have Alex Bates, who is the writer and was supposed to be here, but uh, had another something else come up, and he's been a fantastic writer for the last several months, I don't, a year maybe even. Um, he's a pretty neat guy. Yeah, he makes miniatures. <laughs> if I can throw a shout out to him, uh, Forge of Ice Minis mm-hmm. uh, is is his main livelihood. Uh, but he's also a writer and he's done fantastic work. And also uh, Whitney and Mike, you take those up. Uh, Whitney Libby is the uh, other culinarian on the team. She's an extraordinary. I, I think she's a more talented chef than I am personally. Um, just really great in helping me figure out recipes and workshop them and cooks desserts that'll put you in a coma. Um, and Elise Rorick is our staff photographer. Uh, if you look at if you look at the photos from all of last anything pre-COVID, uh, they're gorgeous. They're perfect. And if you look at the ones after March, you can tell that it's me uh, trying in my quarantine kitchen to still put together content. And we're, we're trying to work that out. Uh, she's a fantastic photographer. Um, she does some book design stuff. And, and she's a, just a general fantastic person. You can find her at uh, Lucy Covey, L-U-S-I-C-O-V-I, creative uh, on Patreon and everything else like that. Yeah, so this that, is a large team. Uh, mm-hmm. Who do you have that's handling the uh, getting the word out? How does that happen? That's a good question. Um, all of us are pretty much terrible at it. <laughs> as, as most creative people are, uh, social media and self-promotion is, is not our strong suit. So we str- and we've struggled and continue to struggle with that. We had uh, we simply honestly, at this stage, we just don't have the because everyone else has their own thing, right? This is sort of a side project that everyone's doing for for the you know out of the kindness of their heart uh, and getting paid very very little for it. So um, 
we don't have the time to do it ourselves and we don't have the money to hire somebody to do it full time. We had for a for three months, we had a, a, an angel investor who just loves the, pro, the, the project, the idea of, of FlavorTech so much that they just gave us some money to hire somebody to do it. And we, so we had that for a while, but we just, uh, you know, that dried up and that's where we're at right now. So if anyone really uh, listens to this and loves the idea and wants to do flavor tech social media for us, uh, please give me a shout. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it has been a challenge for sure. It's a, it is a, it's a labor of love for everybody that's involved, but yeah, every, I do, I do the posts when content is actually published. I do the posts, uh, for that on, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, discord. Um, but beyond that, to kind of keep interest going, to keep the ball rolling day to day, that's, that's very difficult for us to do. Have you guys been posting on like the D and D subreddit or the D and D Facebook arc? We have not. Other than when, uh, other than when Joby, I know, posted his um, Myconid on at least one or two of those of those places. So but no, we we have not directly done it. Yeah, the visual stuff that you guys are pumping out with Joby, uh, sorry, uh, it's Tim, right? Not Alex. Yes. Alex is not here. Okay. Um, and uh, you guys have the visual stuff, and the visuals is what draws people in on the internet like visual posts do really well in general so you could just just link the patreon with actually no i was gonna say link the patreon but uh you want to post the picture on twitter or whatever and then in a reply to that post include the link because social medias do not like you having the link in the, the first post anymore hmm. oh, say, say, so say that like, say that again uh, um, like on reddit on reddit they... sort of thing. I'm sorry. So uh, on uh, on Reddit, uh, you want to you know post the picture and then in a reply to it, include the links in the comment section. Oh, okay, and the same right. thing is true with Twitter. The same thing is true with Facebook. You want to post the picture first and the links in the comments. Yeah, I was I was aware of that with with Reddit. Uh, I thought for a second you were saying that something with Reddit had changed, but yeah, that's a that's a point that's. Sorry, we're getting off the flavor text topic just for a second um, because uh, heads up to artists everywhere that post on on Twitter. Um, the current state of affairs seems to be that Twitter will um, not like your post as much if you have a link in the original post. If you just post the, uh, the picture of the art and then as a part of that thread as a secondary post you then post a link to you know where to go and where you want people to you know end up then the the, the algorithm won't punish you for it um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later with uh dave cave when he joins us but right. uh he has found that it's true on instagram as well if you even include the word uh patreon mm -hmm. in your text of your post it will not um share that link with anybody else it will, you know, it will hide the post or like bury the um, post in the feed so these huh. are little marketing tidbits if you guys want to apply them to your own <laughs> social media accounts. Yeah, and coming back to flavor text and the, the, social, the social media um, marketing end of that, it's, um, yeah, it's sort of, you know, one of the reasons why maybe it doesn't happen as fluidly as would be optimal is there are so many hands 
there are so many cooks in the kitchen. I don't know what the appropriate analogy is, but, um, you know, and everybody is sort of like responsible for their little end of it, you know? And like I said before, it's a labor of love. So as it kind of congeals more and more, I think those kinds of things will become, you know, more regular and uh, more efficient. The good news is that there is a, uh, a great catalog of material waiting to be pumped out and as we have learned on previous episodes the internet loves to binge consume and there is a uh veritable bible of flavor text but we're going to get to some of the upcoming uh news for flavor text more towards the end i i want to do some like real basic um intro level stuff you know because we we've talked about D D before on this podcast and you know and the, the the creative nature of coming up with D content and i'm going to assume that most people listening to this are familiar with the general concept of dungeons and dragons but uh maybe some might not grasp the idea of like all this extra content you know and how that plays into things um so kafir maybe you can talk for a little bit on like how does all of this supplemental material get brought in like what is its relevance to like there's dungeon and dragons the game that people play but then there's like this whole world of extra content that innumerable amounts of people are making what where do the two come together what are the mechanics in D&D that allow for outside material to be incorporated um i mean D&D is it's a role playing game so mecha- leaving mechanics aside it's just your imagination so you can do whatever you want in a in a in a role playing game uh, mechanically, we we know originally that Alton Green is a chef and a, and a bard, technically. So we have that sort of coming into it, and we just sit down and say, "All right, what can what can be the effects of eating a certain monster?" So we just have to we just have to be creative about it. And sometimes it's very simple, like you know, like w- our first chapter was Cave Troll, and what will Cave Troll do to you? So uh, they're usually we try to we try to get uh, uh, some sort of advantage and disadvantage, some you know, pros and cons to eating something. So eating cave troll will give you, um, um, what's it called, dark vision in D&D. You'll be, be able to see in the dark, but it'll also make you sensitive to, to sunlight. Uh, sometimes, not always. So it depends, on, it depends on how well you do cooking it, or it might depend on, on your... Um, your reaction when you eat it, right? So you get a saving throw that you have to pass, or if you fail, you might you might be allergic to it, or you might get su- suffer some sort of a bad result. Uh, with the unicorn, uh, we figured unicorn being being such a legendary sort of magical creature, we might go a little more whimsical with it. So there was a whole random table that you need to roll on, and it with all sorts of different results. Some of them could be absolutely dangerous and, and deadly. Like it could teleport you in a random direction, including up, right? Uh, for like a mile away. And that might mean that your character now is dropping from a mile up and splatters on the ground. Or it might give you it might grant you a wish, but you won't know. That's the that's the problem. You have no <laughs> idea what's going to happen. Your dungeon master is gonna roll it, or you roll it, but the you know, but uh the dungeon master isn't going to tell you. So 
it might be that you're eating a unicorn and all of a sudden, you know, you roll the dice and nothing happens where it really just grants you a wish. So the first time you are going to say something like, I wish this happened, right? That's going to happen. So <laughs> there's a lot of fun, whimsical things like that. Uh, some, and some some monsters, like, like I said, are boring. So we'll bring in items or characters from the stories. Uh, and we'll create those in full. So we'll give you... The, we had uh, one story about the... One of my favorite stories, honestly, is about Baron Rumbus the, the third or whatever he was. Uh, and he was a gelatinous cube that is ancient and has become sentient and intelligent uh, because of an experiment by a wizard. And so that whole story is really, is really funny. But... Uh, he, you know, eating gelatinous cube, we actually had a recipe for that. But we also had him as a character because he was a very unique, very interesting character that you could meet in the game that, that your dungeon master might decide would be, would be fun to, to encounter. So we had the entire character created so that you can meet him. Uh, and and, that's, and all, that's always a fun process of, of creating something that, that doesn't exist yet in D D, so it's not just copy paste something that already exists it's make something new that's fun mm. uh other than that mechanically you know magical items potions uh, weapons all kinds of new things that we're, we've created are always fun to do and there's always there's always the easy way of um you know you look for something that does that comes close to what you want right and then you tweak it from there just like reference for art. So you find a spell that does that has the effect of what you want, and then you say, well, how do I make it different and, and apply, applicable to this situation? I hope that answers your question. So Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, the thought one of the thoughts behind the question is, you know, when I when I think about I, I'm not even a huge D D player. Um, I used to play a lot when I was a kid. I haven't played in a, a very long time. Only recently kind of got started dipping my toe back into it. Um, but the content that can be made for it is so vast and on, on virtual, virtually unlimited. There are parameters that the game imposes on like what you can and can't do. But even then, I don't know, like DM's discretion goes pretty far as far as, you know, what they're going to allow into the game. Um, but it's, you know, I just wanted to sort of sing the praises of D&D as a, crea a fertile ground for creativity, you know, and there might be a lot of creators out there who are familiar with D&D just as an abstract concept, um, but maybe, you know, had never considered it as a, an avenue for creative outlet and potential income stream, um, you know, and, and, and this is all to say that, you know, that it's, if you've been overlooking it or you haven't considered it before um you know check it out because it's it's a market that is growing fast um as, as you've seen just in the little bit that we've talked about so far the possibilities are virtually endless mike yeah you got something yeah um kind of piggybacking on that if you are an artist and you're not or you're someone who's looking at a creative career and, and you're not engaging with uh D, D or Pathfinder or something like that. Um, 
it's got values way beyond the recreational because it is constructive shared storytelling, which when you view it through that lens, there's almost no creative career that doesn't benefit from that. It's building your ability to work as a team. It's building your ability mm -hmm. to um, work towards a shared goal with not just different skill sets, but often different uh, amounts of information. And, uh, you know, like as an animator, something like D&D is hugely important because you're, again, you're learning those improv skills and animators need to know how to act. It's not just the skill set of how do I make something look like it's moving, but what does body language do? What does dialogue do? And so on and so forth. Um, and as someone who like Tim and, and like yourself has done a lot of different things in the creative sphere that um, at uh, AAA levels would be broken out into individual things, but, but at our level of professionalism, there's a lot of overlap. Um, it's a great thing to do. And then I think a lot of artists who are aspiring they, they want to kind of put themselves in the room and just draw or just paint or just sculpt or whatever it is because they think they need to constantly produce output. But the worst thing you can do is to not consume creative content. You will eventually run out of ideas or you're, you know, just beat your head against the wall. Um, so this is a really, really good way to get your recreation, get your social, learn how to do some other stuff and keep the ideas flowing. Speaking of art, uh, Tim, you're an artist. Uh, so when you w are interacting with us, do you do bottom up creativity? Like, do you you start with the idea and send it to them and say, "Hey, wait, what do you guys think about this thing I drew? Is this something you can make into a recipe? Is this thing you can make into a story?" Or are you more at the tail end where you uh, take the story, you take the picture of the food, and then you make something out of it? It's it's more of a tail end as you describe it. Like, um, I think that. Uh, and, and Cave and Joby and Mike, they do well to, to, to sort of give a good direction to aim or a target. And then in some regard, it starts off as maybe just a description um, and an idea, literally off, off the top of the head. Like, I have an idea of how I want to look, but they can't give you much more on the details. And then, you know, um, we sort of go through a process of sketching and, and, and refining um, and in a weird way, like like sculpture, it starts off very very rough and then builds either through or subtraction and and becomes something a lot more um, fleshed out. Uh, I I will I will tip my hat to Cave because uh, I've worked with a lot of different people that have art criticisms or even more so um, advice or, or or direction, and his has been some of the clearest. And most accurate, like, or I should say useful is a better term. Dead serious. Useful direction. Like, it's not it's not enough when, when you draw something and say, all right, well, I need some feedback. What can we do here? And the answer is like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't like it. You know, like that's not enough. You, you need you need some you need some you need some uh some pretty specific uh uh targeting or or useful things like, oh, you're a little taller, or I envisioned something. You know, maybe with uh, claws that it could grip something with rather than, you know, hooves or, you know, whatever the the monster medley desires. But um, but like uh, right now, what we've also discussed is is unifying the style. And, um, and that kind of kicks back over to Joby there. That's a real helpful tool as well as knowing not just 
what to draw and what it needs to look like, but also how it needs to um, sort of match up or how it needs to sort of like be cohesive. Like it's being drawn by one hand, even though multiple hands are in this project. And, um, and that's a, that's, that's some really good advice too. So very much like you said, at the beginning of the question was it's more tail end. It's not so much me coming out, you know, with like a frantic sketch or an idea and handing it up the ladder. It's the other way around. It's passed down. It's like, Hey, this is what's on the docket. This is what we're looking to do. And then we play from there, you know, and there've always been, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys are always open for, you know, the, there's open lines of communication. So, you know what I mean? Like I know very, very much where I fit in the project, but at the same time, if I have ideas or if I want to, you know, stretch the wings a little, there's an open dialogue can be brought around to that and stuff like that. Yeah, Moose. I was waiting. Go ahead. I was waiting for Cave to uh, come in and go. No, you don't have that after, uh, freedom <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, um, Moose beat me to the punch in dragging uh, Tim into this because um, I certainly didn't want you to feel excluded, Tim. Um, and I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your role in. Uh, in flavor text, which you, which you definitely just did. And, but also, um, you know, just as an, as an artist, like I, you mentioned before that you, you tattoo outside of this, that's your, your, your main gig, right? Um, tell me a yeah, little that, bit more. That would technically be, I guess you'd call the, the full-time position. Right, right. Well, tell I'm me sorry, a, more about tattooing. Well, no, tell me, tell me a little bit more about like, like kind of like a brief synopsis of your art journey. Like how do you, come uh from tattooing into you know this like broader sphere of D D and or what's uh what what it would have attracted you into it sure uh everyone get a comfy chair out no just <laughs> um but uh uh honestly as far as art was concerned art was always a part of my life um what led me to tattooing it's it was an actual uh very odd sort of twist of fate i interestingly enough uh was involved in restaurants and cooking for a majority of my we want to call it adult years you know like i i i sort of after going to college for art and receiving a, a bfa for fine art i took a huge turn and got into restaurant management and so like 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 you do you know like so I um I was doing that for like twelve years and um it, all all parts of restaurants, not just management, but um but it wasn't and I'm omitting a huge chunk but uh of of time, but uh it wasn't until later that a uh, a friend from college um who got his MFA at the same college I went to with my wife and I um walked into one of my, my restaurant one day and I was like, hey man, you still got that tattoo shop? He's like, yeah, I still do. And I go, when are you going to teach me how to tattoo, man? And he's like, come on in. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> so awesome. It kind of, it, yeah, yeah. And it kind of, it kind of, it kind of seemed like a, a, a sort of like providence, you know, like planets aligning and everything coming together. But, um, but my, my wife originally, who, if, if, if everyone doesn't know, um, my wife is a very talented and very prolific artist. And, uh, back when we were first dating, she actually apprenticed at that tattoo shop. Hmm. So like she was, you know, she had equipment, she had all the stuff that was necessary to really get started, but ultimately decided it wasn't for her. And so 
there the the equipment would rest in the closet for 10 years and then i would be the guy plucking it out of the closet and marching into the tattoo shop and saying i'm going to get back into art because i was away from it for so long uh for so long because my choice and career had sort of taken me away from the creative uh side of things i mean i found ways to use my creativity in that but that's a whole different ball of wax but um, but ultimately, like putting my hands to work was was not happening. And so this has been a phenomenal like past few years because it has literally revitalized me as far as creatively and artistically. And one of the many great things um, has been flavor text to to kind of to restoke those those fires and get me back into uh, drawing in general and other other things. But yeah, but um. But the tattooing is is one of those things too. Like the more you do a thing, the more you use it, whether it be drawing, um, whether it be listening to clients for my tattooing, or whether it be listening to direction, art direction from, you know, the Flavor Text team, Cave in particular. Um, that that uh, that sort of polishing of of ability is 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 it's it's priceless. I can't I can't put an emphasis on enough of how like. If you want to get better at anything or if you want to just if you want to just you know take your hand at something you got to do it you really got to do it like you gotta sit down and you know rubber meets the road whatever whatever analogy you like sure. <laughs> yeah that's awesome um the creative process of flavor text was was touched on a little bit when moose you know asked him if you know, you were sort of like more front end or, uh, you know, front of the pipeline or end of the pi end of the pipeline. Um, it's artists in this kind of capacity or it's sort of the reverse of some of the other visual development pipelines, you know, where there's like a concept artist team that comes up with like a lot of like visual imagery. And on this, it's so story based, um, you know, we're more at the tail end of it. Um, so I would like to go back a little bit and talk about that kind of creative process and Kafir and Mike, maybe you guys can talk a little bit about this. Um, you know, as far as what that process looks like, does the story come first? Sure. Is there an idea who comes so, up with the, who comes up with the idea? Where does it kind of get its first initial kickoff? So both, uh, both Mike and I are longtime D and D and you know, players and fantasy fans. So we have knowledge of, you know, what's out there as far as monsters and things like that. So we would, like Mike said earlier, we would sit down. We sat down at the beginning of the year and came up with a list of monsters, just literally a list. And then we might put them in a certain order, sort of throw around ideas for what dish that could be. Just something really, you know, just in broad terms, not not the actual specifics. And from there, we 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 might put them in. Uh, okay, which month do we want? We're trying. We you we aim for to publish once a month, and that doesn't always work especially in 2020 but we'll put them sort of in an order sometimes we might want to do something that's seasonal so we'll know that we want you know the thanksgiving sort of holiday thing at the end of the year and something more summer like in august or july so that's how that works once we have the monster list we'll send that to our writer in this case alex currently uh and um sort of come up with ideas with that sometimes we might have an idea already 
and and we are very open to hearing ideas from the rest of the of the team even you guys as artists if you have like hey for for i've got a cool idea for a story about i don't know some sort of a monster right and if we have an idea already we might say to alex this is sort of what we want the story to to be about but generally uh, the way it works is alex here's the monster give me a tweet length pitch of what the hell happens right literally if you keep the uh, we found out early enough actually talking about writers we found out that the type of art of writer we need is someone who can write comedy sketches uh, more so than than epic fantasy because we're dealing with short stories that we want to be entertaining not always funny right they can be scary they can be serious they can be funny but it needs to to sort of start middle and end sort of in in one or two pages Sometimes it's just the middle, but it needs to be a comedy sketch more so than an epic saga. And so if you can sum it up, if you can grab my attention in a tweet length pitch for that story, great. Then we can, I can say thumbs up, thumbs down, and we can move on from there. So that's how that works. Once the story is more or less shaped, that's the process that goes between me and Alex back and forth. Uh, and then I'll send it to Mike and Mike will read it and have suggestions and, you know, once the story is more or less finished, it might not have, you know, the polishing details, but it's more or less finished. Then I'll show it to to you guys, to Joby and, so, excuse me, to Tim. And just, again, if I have specific ideas in my head for what I want the art to be, I'll let you know. But most of the time, it's read this and tell me what you want to draw from it, right? And Joby and Tim have... Um, different roles joby has been doing the the story art and tim has been doing the gaming content art so that does kind of direct your your attention specifically to certain elements of the story but beyond that it's very very open just tell me what you want to draw uh and i might have suggestions but honestly i've had suggestions that then joby or tim come back with something that's way cooler than what i thought so i'm like sure sweet go with that so and that's how it goes and just back and forth the this recent chapter has been very challenging actually to come up with a because we have to like do a creature design for something that's a cross between a xenomorph and a hornet and it's been very very it's a murder hornet chapter basically very so, challenging very it's been very challenging to find the right creature design for that um but most of the time it's just kind of a little bit of back and forth uh, I am learning how to be an art director. Never been an art director, so what Tim is saying is actually a surprise to me. <laughs> that I don't—I did not think <laughs> I, that I'm a I've good one. You, uh, you are guess, good. You're better than good. I guess uh, I have the advantage of being a creative myself, and I've dealt with taking commissions from people and where they don't have the right information, and especially as a map maker, it is my biggest peeve when somebody commissions me and says oh just do what you want look it's a map i can't do what i want right. <laughs> it needs to be a map needs to be accurate i can't just invent you know locations in your world when you're an author and you want me to make you a map i just and they think i can't they think they they give me they're giving me the permission to do that but to me that's a big no-no right? well they're, they're also not they right. are not actually giving you license to do that what they're doing is saying, 
the labor you're going to put in now and I'm going to force you to change later. <laughs> I'm, I'm exactly. asking for it for free. This is, you know, I, in my day job Fair. is graphic design. Um, and my biggest complaint is not last minute work, not boring work. It's work without design specs. I'll get a request and it'll say postcard eight and a half by 11. And despite the fact that that's not a postcard size, I'll go ahead and design it and they'll say, well, <laughs> I wanted it postcard size. Well, okay, you shouldn't have marked that then, you know, or, well, it's due Friday. And then they'll be at my desk Monday. Well, where is it? You know, uh, so as an artist, it, you always have to push, like Kafir is saying, to make sure that your clients understand expectations. Because if they say, uh, just do whatever you want, unless this is someone you've worked with before and you know that you understand their design sensibilities and you understand their objective and, and they're going to be good to work with, it's no, I, we really need to have this conversation now. Uh, we need to do notes. We need to do uh, ideation. We need to respect the process because otherwise you're going to be spending that time later and you're going to be the one with the contract in your hands going, okay, no, but you have to pay me extra now. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly, I feel that and I, and I feel bad asking for changes. Right. So I don't want that to happen. So I want to sort of get, first of all, a verbal concept of what it's going to be like. Uh, especially when you, if you're working with somebody with people who you've not worked with a lot, once you've developed a relationship and you sort of think on the same page and you've learned to trust each other, then, you know, I can, I can just do something from this <laughs> and it'll be, and it'll usually be okay. Um, but I don't like to ask for changes. So what I usually ask artists and I've actually dealt with other artists when I've commissioned art where that was really tough. Cause you say, send me the simplest blocked shapes, right? Of, of just the composition and they will send you a half finished drawing that they've yeah. worked for, for four <laughs> hours on. And I'm like, that's not what, I, and then they, they're angry because you asked them to change it. Right. Uh, so it goes both ways and listening. <laughs> I think listening and following instructions both go, goes both ways. Uh, so I usually ask, just give me a, the roughest concept. Take, take 60 seconds, you know, to, to just give me the roughest concept of what you're thinking about. Um, and I might do a stupid drawing. I'm really bad at drawing. So I might do a very stupid line drawing of, of what I'm thinking about and send it to to Joby or Tim. And I'm like, you know, something like this, you know, just make it look pretty <laughs> um, or take it further. Uh, and then it's just a back and forth. And once, once we we're like, okay, this is it. We've nailed it. Then, then go all the way to the end and, and take it the home stretch sort of thing. Uh, but I, I hear you. I, I hate, I've I've experienced it myself, I guess, from both sides. So maybe that gives me an advantage as a as a quasi art director. Oh, definitely. I'm, yeah, I mean, you know what sucks. You know what doesn't work. You know, from the other end of the, uh, you know, are on the receiving end, right. both sides. So yeah, you 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 come especially especially with a project like this, where where I know our our staff is not being fairly compensated. <laughs> <laughs> or at least what I would consider fair. It's fair because we all knew what we were getting ourselves into, but I would love to be able to pay double the industry rate and by industry, not gaming industry, like art industry, what people should be paid. I would love to double it if I could, but we can't at this point. So all of you guys listening, go support us on Patreon so that we could pay 
uh, Joby and, and Tim what they should be. Um, and Cave and I at all. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh Mike and I at all. We are we have not made a single penny off of this in two years. Um, to to piggyback off that, we also uh, you know all being creative professionals, we share a vocabulary that mm-hmm. I think is one of the biggest hurdles when you are dealing with commissions and uh, and clients in the rest of the space is that sometimes they'll say things and the meaning of those words is completely divorced from what they're talking about um, or they're they're looking for edits and they're trying to express what they want and it's really not what they're saying at all and so you know, I, I'm usually upfront about saying like hey I'm going to come back for you and I'm going to show you examples and I'm going to make clarifications because uh, we're not actually speaking the same language and part of my job as a freelancer is to read your mind and the better I can do that the more time it saves me and by extension money it saves you um, I think that works really well for us I don't think we've had too many instances where flavor text artwork has gone back and forth up and down the line dozens of times um, I certainly have had work go back and forth a lot more in other areas of my career um, but that's a huge thing for for podcast listeners who are you know working in the creative fields is to be really aware that what someone is saying may not mean what you're thinking because they don't have the training and they don't use the same language. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, this all kind of leads well into the, one of the questions that I had, you know, about the creative process being this sort of like bumpy, jarring experience sometimes. And, you know, things don't get put out on time this labor of love that we talked about, you know, everybody's sort of, you know, like in it for their own joy of it as much as any financial compensation. Um, and I think that there's a, a, a lesson in there to, you know, not get too discouraged and too down on yourself if things aren't always go, going according to plan or, you know, certainly that you're not getting rich overnight, you know, like this is when you love something, you kind of like, you know, really have to just like keep that slow, steady, burn on it yes some things ignite and turn into wildfire overnight but most things take a uh, a steady uh a steady pace it's the marathon not the sprint and on that um i would like each of you guys to talk about just a little bit personally you know what are some things you know along the way that have helped you guys uh or help make things work smoothly in terms of time management organization um you know and what things that like kind of help you guys work on flavor text and just kind of like in general like as a creative are you do you mean actual tools it 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 could be you know just it it's it's kind of an open-ended question um and it more just speaks to uh the effort of making the job easier outside of uh the, the the pen to paper so to speak, you know, and, and it, it could be tools or it could just be, you know, like you know, ways of keeping yourself organized mentally, physically, whatnot. I will say, and this is something that you and I uh, sort of touched on for the future, but I will say that um, the first thing that comes to mind to me is streaming. When mm-hmm. I, to have started streaming or to, 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 to stream regularly, I stream live, right? All my, my, my work, not flavor text work, um, but because um, it's just not as much of it. but my artwork 
streaming it has been the best thing I ever did for my creativity. Once streaming became a habit, uh, because then uh, before before uh, my my and maybe I'm different from from other artists, right? I'm I I don't do art because I have this um, uncontrollable urge to just create things. Um, I sometimes will get an idea for something really cool and I want to make it. But once I started making a living off my art and I started going to conventions to sell, when I uh, before I started streaming, when I had enough material to sort of fill a booth, I found that I just kind of, my, my motivation to create more, which then by, by association means get better, because the more you create, the better you get, my motivation kind of died off. So I'd, you know, I'll just go watch Netflix or do whatever, right? Instead of working and creating more stuff. But when I started streaming and making it, it, it really became a habit that if I'm turning on, if, I, if I'm creating, the camera's on. If the camera's on, you know, I'm creating. Uh, they, go, they go hand in hand. It meant that when I'm done with a project, I'm already thinking, you know, I, before I'm even done with it, I'm thinking about what, what's the next one, right? Because... And I don't think it's because I have this community of people who are who are somehow uh, that I'm somehow beholden to them, but it's just it is such a habit that I sort of have to, right? It's it's become instinct to just think about what's the next thing I'm going to do, mm -hmm. uh, and it's the best thing I ever did for my for my creativity and therefore getting better. I've I am so I am so much better skill wise at what I do now after. I want to say this is the fourth year of streaming than I would have been, I think, if I did not stream and just kept on creating on my own. It keeps pushing my skills because I, I get bored. So if I keep doing the same thing over and over, I, I'll just be bored with it. So having to think what's the next thing I do and how is that going to be different from what I've done so far is keeping me pushing. And if I didn't stream, I wouldn't have that. So the one single thing I think I, uh, I have to, contribute to this is is streaming other people tim mike etc might have other tools that they that have made a big difference for them yeah how about you mike what are your thoughts on that question uh so i kind of have the exact opposite problem kafir has um <laughs> i never reach a point where i'm like oh i'm done i can just go watch netflix or play games all day um if when my bio gets attached to this in whatever way, you'll see that I have my fingers in a dozen different pies on a leadership level. I've got my day job, I've got my freelance projects, I've got a couple of businesses I'm involved with. Uh, so for me, time management is about giving everything enough attention that my presence is improving the whatever it is, the product or the service, uh, as opposed to being a bottleneck and an obstacle for it. Um, which I would say I'm, I'm like 90% of where I want to be. Sometimes I'm still the one holding things up. Um, so time management is about planning my week in advance and saying, okay, Monday night, we're going to work on this. And Tuesday night, we're going to work on this. And Wednesday night, we're going to work on this so that everything gets enough attention. Um, I'm a uh, chronic multitasker, which can be really, really great for getting things done. But the human brain doesn't actually multitask. It just switches between tasks rapidly. Um, so one of the things that I found really helpful more recently is to say, OK, this is the thing. And we're, we're just going to focus on this exclusively until we're done. And then we'll go on to the next thing. 
and try to not think all at the same time about everything that there is that I've got to get done and everything that there is that I want to get done and haven't touched in, in too long or whatever it might be. Um, as far as actually making sure things get accomplished for flavor text, uh, I take my inspiration from culinary school and it's a mise en place, which is French for everything in its place. And both from a cooking standpoint, that means getting out all your ingredients and all of your equipment and reading through your recipe before you've turned on the oven or the stove or whatever it might be and making sure you really do have everything you need. Um, but from a broader sense, you know, look at your evening, look at your, your time, whatever you're gonna sit down and do and make sure you have everything um, mentally and mechanically to actually achieve what you're setting out to do. That's very cool. And just as an aside, Mike, um, and there's a, a lot of uh, discussion about uh, putting things in pies in the chat. Um, but sp thinking just specifically about your fingers and <laughs> uh, all of the pies that you have them in, um, I think that would be a really interesting conversation to have in the future. I would like to have um, all three of you guys on again individually. You mentioned uh, pies, and we're, I know we're kind of talking about pies like figuratively. Uh, um, <laughs> before, before, before I make it here, before I ever did flavor text, I briefly ran a custom order bakery whose flagship product was pies inside of cakes. Uh, you probably Holy heard of like, the or the Chirpumple, um, which that, that Wall Street Journal story is about 10 years old now. And I, I did devise a recipe for that when one did not exist in the public sphere. <laughs> Holy uh, crap. Figured out how to make that work. And then I started, to, I said, you know, that's way too much at once. So for, I think about a year and a half, I you could order from me uh, like a cherry pie inside of a devil's food cake or a pumpkin pie inside of a spice cake, peach pie inside of an amaretto cake, stuff like that. And uh, I gave it up because I was I was doing it at night while going to art school. <laughs> I just had no sleep ever. Um, but yeah, that's pies. Well, I would like it... to point out it's my birthday this coming week and pie inside of cake sounds like a great thing, Mike. I would be willing to pay the FedEx overnight delivery for uh for this oh man i for I, me to get it for my birthday thank you joby yeah like <laughs> <laughs> that to, to that make quick. it survive like you might end up eating it with a spoon out of the fedex box <laughs> i mean i don't know <laughs> is this a bad soup. thing that's either either way either way we win um but uh no my point being was that um you know, i think we'll definitely have you on to talk more about a lot of stuff um in the future uh Tim, you as well. Um, but in the meantime, what are your thoughts on that that question? Um, I guess to get back to like to to talk about the, the the tools, I guess specifically to achieve some of the the to 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 get to the art to get to get working on the art. I'm a terrible person when it comes to time management, so it's. For me, it's knowing my my obstacles, and I'm terrible at time management. Um, so I I have a a pretty steep hill to climb in order to to kind of to conquer that part of myself, and so I use um I use tactics to to do it. I guess in this case, what you would call tools. Um, 
one such tactic is lists. Uh, write down lists, things that I need to get done or things that I'm working on. And then once I have a list of, you know, five, six, seven things, I have a, a mantra that I sort of remind myself. And it's the phrase, if you have more than three, three priorities, you really don't have any. And so that's what I do is I break down those lists and I go top three things. Those have to get done by priority. I usually use like stars or doodles. Like this one's got six dinosaurs. That means I have to do it first, you know, or whatever, whatever mm -hmm. the, the sort of uh, legend key is to, to kind of know which ones of the list need to go first. But um, that's primarily one of the, the, the things that I use when juggling all the different art that I'm working on, whether it be client work for the tattooing, whether it be a commission that I've picked up through Twitch, or whether it be, you know, a, a, a project that flavor text uh, needs. And so, you know, and I go and I had my, uh, I kind of prioritize from the list. And then the other tactic that I use is something that was an advice given to me by someone that, um, that runs a YouTube channel. And um, he has a full-time day job as an engineer where he's pushing in, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. And then he goes on to topple another 20, 30 hours in that week to do his editing and filming and YouTube stuff. And I said, how on earth can you do that? Like, where does the time come from? Mm -hmm. And he says, I myself. And he says, he, what I'm sorry, I he, says, is, he says what? You cut out a little bit. He, he said what? Oh, I'm sorry. He says that he has a trick. He tricks himself. Oh. He'll come tired on a Friday night. He knows that he's tired and he knows that he's got a hundred other things to think about. And one of those things could be watching Netflix and having a frozen pizza for dinner. And that sounds like heaven, but he tricks himself by rushing straight to the garage or in this case, a studio space. Doesn't he, he bypasses everything. Doesn't get the beer. Doesn't get the water or, or the snack. He just goes straight into the room and pushes into it and starts working. And that's the trick because your body then kind of re-revs itself up and says, okay, I guess we're doing this now. And once you kind of have a mental foothold, that's when you're able to now go get and then get back to work because you'll get excited about what it is you're working. Um, and sort of like, so those, those tactics specifically would be prioritizing my list and then Sometimes it means staying up an extra hour late or whatever it is, coming home from work and just going straight into the studio space. And even like in uh, in the case that uh, Fear mentioned, the stream helps. You know, turn on that camera. Now you're accountable. Now people are watching you work. You know, <laughs> and so um, yeah, and so and so it, it kind of it's a great way to kind of kickstart the energies, even if it's just to literally put pencil to paper and 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 garbly gook sketch some 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 you know you know nonsense you know just get the rhythms kind of turning and then that can lead to something that's full and much like mike was mentioning i love your phrase that you mentioned i don't want to be a bottleneck i don't want to be the obstacle that that sort of pinches this off i need to be productive and i guess looking at it from that perspective sitting in the room and even if you're just drawing circles on a piece of paper just to loosen your wrist up as long as you're gaining something from that and you're not just spinning your wheels, if you're like, okay, now I'm, you know, all oh, the circle, you know, I'm warmed up, I'm feeling good. Now all oh, the cameras on, people are talking to me. Yeah. Let's get a new piece of paper and we're off, we're running, we're doing something. And so that's helpful. I think that, I think that those, those 
particular tactics have been the most helpful for me. I still have an issue with time management. Well, you said that out. you were terrible at it, but it sounds like, I mean, yeah. you're actually pretty good at it, just in the sense of like, you're one, self-aware, and two, you have some working tools, and those are kind of like the two main ingredients to, you know, developing a but functioning But it took a lot management. of a lot of exercise yeah like sure i guess some people might very um punctual is a good example right always mm -hmm. on time they never have an issue they're there you know they're accountable in that way those guys are that jerks. would not be me yeah in order to be <laughs> punctual i have to be insanely early like like i'm preparing <laughs> to leave an hour and a half before i have to be anywhere to yeah. get there kind of on time you right, know like, right, so right, like, right, right. Like, like I'm a guy that's like, what time's the podcast? Five? Oh, that's five Eastern or five Pacific. Wait, what? You know, like I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not good at that. So I, it takes a lot of mental whipping to, to sort of put, put myself in that place where some people, it might come a lot easier. Like I have to force myself to write a list where other people, it just might be the natural idea. Like, oh, of course, lists. yeah, nothing new there. But for me, it's like, oh crap, if I don't write this down it's gone in seconds. Like it's not going to be there. Goldfish brain is going to kick in and I'm yeah. not going to remember what I'm supposed to be working. You know? Well, so. the thing that I, the thing that I admire about people that are like good at making lists uh, or, you know, good at using lists um, is that they're, they're efficient about it. Because for me, like one of the things with lists is it can become its own project in itself, you know, and then you're like making lists of lists or like, you know, spending a lot of time thinking about like, well, what should this list, do exactly and what's going to be on it but anyway mike were you going to say something so yeah uh this this actually dovetails really well because tim you're talking about this guy you admire and how he um outsmarts himself and what you're actually describing is, is how you outsmart yourself and when i was a kid i had a wild problem with procrastination just wild um i still had all of the desire to like do everything under the sun and everything had to be elaborate and three times the, the complexity that it needed to be. Um, but you could also guarantee that I would leave it to the last 10% of the time that I had to do it. Um, my parents will tell stories about me being in tears the night before a project was due. And that's just not a thing that happens anymore. Um, I mean, I will still back myself into a corner time-wise, but it's the result of, you know, like, it's like an airline crash. It's a cascading failure of other projects took too long and this is more elaborate and we had change orders and whatever. Um, but there's very little of just like, oh, I'm avoiding what I need to do. But, you know, and if you're watching the stream, I've got this little note card here and I've got piles and piles and piles of these because these are, are the lists and I'll set down for the beginning of the week usually on Sunday night or, or Monday night, if, I, if I'm running a little behind and say, wait, this is the stuff to get done this week. Uh, well, listeners, can you describe what you're holding up? And Yeah, uh, so it's it's a little four by six note card and it says this week, 914 to 920, this is an older one. Uh, Mycenid update, which was for one of our pieces. Uh, finished Harvard Square illustration, which was something for my day job. Uh, Purchase wrapped canvases, install water filter, KDP ticket and cover resolution. And it's just a series of like, this is the next step on every project I have going. And if I get through this list before the following Sunday, everything I've gotten done, like all the deadlines will have been met that are, that are coming up in that period of time. And everything else I'm working on will have moved at least one step forward. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And it really helps with, you know, I, I have a tendency to remember a deadline or a promise or the next step in something or something I'm the obstacle on, um, like while I'm in the car, which is a terrible time to do that because you can't fix the problem then. Um, we don't do it in, in the, this house because we have tile in the shower, but in my previous house, we had, you know, a, a fiberglass shower um, and I had wet erase markers because I knew that once I stepped in there, that would be when I had the game saving idea that's or that brilliant. a deadline. And if I waited until I got out and toweled off, it would be gone. Holy so if fuck. I write it on the wall, then I have it to come back to. Why is the first why is this the first time in 43 years of being on this earth that someone has told me about that idea? Well, it's a funny dry erase in the shower. Who said that it's she write her papers in college that way because uh, our brains are really contextual. It's why like you can walk into a room and forget what you were supposed to be doing because you've, you've changed your context and sometimes your brain just dumps that information. Um, so if you're somebody who has like all your great ideas in the shower, consider bringing one of those markers in there because uh, it's a great way to keep those thoughts together and not just t- try to squeeze them as hard as you can. There's this one part I'm missing about uh, working in the building for uh, my employment, actual employment jo- day job. Uh, I would go into the bathroom, and that's when I would do all my best coding, <laughs> standing at the <laughs> urinal. And you know, just by the time I got back to my desk, I, could re- I knew exactly what I needed to do. But I'd go to the, I'd leave my desk to go to the bathroom, and be like I have no idea how I'm going to do this thing. And then, oh, now I get it. And I don't have that here at home. So what you're saying is you need to install a urinal on your back. I was just going to say, yeah, you need to like create a mock-up of that whole experience in your house. You know, it wouldn't be a bad idea. Kefir's trying to say something, but he's forgotten about pushing buttons again. I was just saying urinals and showers you can write on. What? No, I'm curious. Why does it not work with tile? I don't know that it doesn't work with tile, but I don't want to get kicked out of this house because I wrote stupid shit on the tile. <laughs> It should be. A, it should. Tile work. might be fine if you're grout, right? You get this right, rainbow-colored no grout. All... <laughs> right. Don't right. cross the lines. Right. Exactly. Um, well, bringing it around to a close-ish, um, I know that there are some new developments on the horizon for Flavor Text. Um, maybe Kafir, you could start talking a little bit about uh, whatever you're as long as none of it is too super secret uh what's coming what's coming up soon and what are you excited about uh so we've been talking a lot about a kickstarter for flavor text where we would actually make a physical book a physical cookbook uh we've gone through some trials and tribulations uh uh in what that's going to look like initially our idea was for physical book then it turned because of 2020 being what it is that change into a digital book what happened in 2020 well, that's that's next podcast. <laughs> uh, we don't have time. <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean? Okay, sorry. So, so yeah, um, now that we're coming to the close of 2020 and we've talked to some people who have had some very, very successful Kickstarters, uh, we're talking above $100,000 raised for a book for you know a, a gaming supplement. So we've been talking to them and we've sort of moved back in the direction of a physical book. And so... The plan right now is to launch it sometime in the spring so we don't compete with holiday shopping and and 
holiday Kickstarters, and we'll have more time to plan and strategize. Uh, the plan for the Kickstarter is to take all the content we will have published at that point, um, or at least the, the current content that we have, which is, I think, 12 or 13 chapters, and then add at least seven more chapters to that. So about a 200, at minimum, a 200-page book nice. of, of recipes uh, in, that includes everything, the stories, the recipes, and the gaming content. And then adding on to that potentially, depending on stretch goals. So we actually have some uh, D and D, you know, industry celebrities already lined up that want to contribute, um, whether stories or gaming content. Uh, sometimes full modules, not full as in you know, hundred page modules, but taking the the little gaming content we have and fleshing it out even more to some short modules that DMs can use. We have uh, Stephen Radney McFarland, who has written for Wizards of the Coast on D&D, uh, Stefan Pokorny from, uh, from Dwarven Forge Miniatures is willing to contribute, and a few other people, Casey Rift and Skeeter Green. Um, so that's going to be cool. Larry Elmore, which is sort of my bucket list item in life uh, that I'm excited about. Larry Elmore has agreed to do a cover for the book uh, as a stretch goal. So Exciting stuff. Uh, there's a lot of potential in flavor text because we could go all sorts of different places. We could do a whole book just about cooking the undead or about cooking goblins or whatever. But this will be just sort of our first dip into into those waters. Uh, so it'll be just the chapter we've published plus a bunch of new ones. So it's all random monsters. And we'll see how that goes. If it goes well, um, we'll do more. But we're waiting we are- to see. We are going to have a uh, upcoming episode on Kickstarters in general with uh, Gavin Valentine and uh, Art of Blake. So uh, might be some helpful information in there as well, like as far as what time of year is best to launch Kickstarter and what, setting the goals should it be high or low, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So, um, Mike, uh, if you have anything that you want to add to that, you can. Um, or if not, I would just like to pose a question uh for you and tim uh what just is uh exciting for you about the future of flavor text in general like what are some things you would like to see happen you know that uh you know uh possibilities on the horizon mike how about you start um i mean i'm really excited to kind of get back to regular publication we there's just been so much that's going on this year uh personally and of course in the world at large it's definitely thrown it for a loop. It's made it more challenging to uh, workshop recipes and, and do photo shoots and stuff like that. Um, I'm also really kind of looking forward to us hitting that critical mass where there's a community. Um, both Tim and Kafir talked a lot about how Twitch and the community holds them accountable. And while we don't present our content in the same way, community engagement really helps um, with the feeling that there's a call and response. You know, you don't want to put stuff out and it, I mean, it's great to, to get the money. And I know we've got those patrons um, and we super appreciate them. Um, but it is so super motivating to hear from someone that they made something and it worked out or they made something that it didn't work out. But how can we maybe fix it? Um, and we put a lot of effort into kind of providing a variety of recipes in terms of entrees and desserts and appetizers and vegetarian and so on. Um so that's that's really the point where I think it's going to get super super exciting is that when there's a community that is trading and working with themselves uh, and with us to you know, super motivating. 
How about you, Tim? Sorry, I'm just writing a quick note that I had an idea for flavor text that I was going to share after the podcast. Oh, there you, there you go. Give me one second. No worries. And man. it's gone. He forgot already. Yeah, like I said, I got to drill it. Quick, run to the shower. I was just going to say he's got to go run to the shower right on his dry erase. Right a permanent um, marker on the tiles. <clears throat> flavor text has been exciting to me for many reasons. One, I've always been very, very fantasy oriented in my art. Like I one of the things I love about creativity and art in general is that it gives us an opportunity to bring something that is completely amorphous or not tactile to life. You know what I mean? The ideas throughout human history of fantastic, literally, you know, embellished, you know, creatures and, and, and things that we don't see in reality being translated in imagery. It's, it's fantastic. It's what I think it's one of the, common hooks that we all share you know so we started dipping our hands in paint and sticking them to walls you know mm-hmm. so it, we wanted to sort of you know to to sort of share that that sort of euphoria we get from art so i'm excited to be a part of that and specifically involved in something like a supplement for dungeons and dragons i myself never knew the game until very recently, including the time that it took me to start working with everyone here and on flavor text. So I mean, just from, I'm excited mostly for my continued involvement as uh, Kafir mentioned, the, uh, the Kickstarter is something I'm getting excited about as, uh, as well, because I feel that I myself am still growing as an artist as, as artists should continually grow. And I'm excited to apply the things that I've improved on to the work that's coming. So and actually, Joby, working side by side with you has been a, a huge inspiration. Um, sight alone, you know, but watching your stream and also um, it's because I hat. lurk, I sneak around in the background, you know. But but I, honestly, uh, you know, just uh, just getting an opportunity to to uh, to to watch you and to learn from you, um, even even in just a a peripheral way. I'm excited about the changes that are coming because of that. So mostly it's about getting to the work. That's, that's, what's exciting, you know, right. getting to see it come to fruition. So, yeah. Yeah. Right on. Cool, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. What about um, you, Joby? Um, uh, but what you guys said, ditto. <laughs> um, what no, a I, I, yeah. Uh, no flavor text is, um, become, uh, more and more, uh, dear to me and it, i'm really looking forward to I, this isn't just a cop out to just copy what mike said but uh, i'm most excited to see it um grow into you know more viewers more people uh getting eyes on it and you know and y- yes the, the whatever financial compensation that comes along with it is is great um but i mean there's there's so much D content in the world um you know, people have the choice of so many things that they can go after. Uh, it's just kind of like waiting for them to see it, you know, because I, I know that they'll get stoked on it. You know, that just... Oh, man, that brings up a, a question that I wanted to ask. And I totally forgot about it. Uh, go for it. What's the, di- what's the difference between the official uh, D&D cooking thing and uh, flavor text? Uh, there's an official book that's coming out. I don't know if it has already. It was coming out, I think, this month. And it's mostly just... 
it's just it's just random recipes as far as I could tell. It's like here's you know lembus bread sort of thing, right? Not it's not uh, game oriented. I think it was actual real recipes that you can cook at home. It wasn't game oriented as in there it lacked the stories and it lacked the the connection to specific monsters as in you're cooking that monster. And it also liked the gaming content. So it was just recipes. That was a book that's just officially published by Wizards of the Coast. Uh, but content-wise, it's very, very different. Seems like a missed opportunity for them not to uh, make flavor text official. It's boring. We don't need to talk about it anymore. Anyway. <laughs> um, I mean, fine. If Wizards of the Coast gave us a call and wanted to make flavor text an official thing, we would consider it. You know. Wizards of the Coast, uh, are you listening? All right, a final, a final wrap-up question. Um, not related to flavor text, not necessarily related to what you guys are doing in, in, on your working on your own projects, but just in the world at large. One thing that you guys are excited about. One thing that gets you stoked. Fear. I'm gonna let's start it the other way around. We'll start with Joby and we'll go with Tim and <laughs> Um Well I'm I I the hesitation in my voice is because at the end of 2019 I said, Man, I can't wait for 2019 to be over. And then in 2020 <laughs> the fucking world ended. But I want to say so badly, so badly. That 2021 is going to be. Uh, what if I end it in a question mark? Better. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm excited. That's not, yeah. I'm yeah. There's a wide range of what better could be. So. Right. Exactly. Start building your bunker. Exactly. Yeah. I'm excited <laughs> about the bunker that I'm building in the backyard and stockpiling food and what kind of uh, items they're going to have, uh, you know, on sale at Costco. But yeah, um, but in, I don't know, in, 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 in more seriousness, um, something uh, that I'm, I'm excited about getting into another D&D game. Uh, the one that uh, we had going a little while ago, it, it had to end for various reasons as they do. But um, like I said, I haven't you know really played much since I was a kid and just recently started dipping my toe back into it. And I'm excited about the possibility of finding another group that uh that can happen with just don't make another anti-hero that's a poll podcast in itself moose me and you we're, we're gonna duke it out all right <laughs> kafir go for it okay fine um i am i am I'm, I'm hoping i don't know that i'm excited about it but i am hoping that 2021 uh things and i don't i don't think it'll happen honestly Things will be better uh, and conventions can come back so that I can actually make more of a living than I am. Um, but actually 2020, I will say this, the 2020 before having forced me to stay home actually forced me to, to change, right? Professionally and, and personally in some ways. Uh, so those changes are exciting because it showed me that I can... I can't stay. I don't have to go to conventions. I can stay home and I can make new things. It actually pushed me creatively again. So there's the digital maps that I've not been not done before, and I started doing this year, and have, are really cool. Uh, and I'm excited about those. And there's flavor text work, and 
So, and the fact that I was able to survive, granted with some uh, outside help, but I was able to survive without doing conventions. So that's an exciting sort of thing to be able to, at the end of the year, look at it and say, is this something that I, that I really have to do? Do I have to, to continue doing conventions for a living? Uh, I'm sure Tim and, and his other half, Bianca, are also thinking the same thing. Uh, D&D, I'm actually, I'll have to copy that. Uh, we played online for a while, and I'm finding that playing online just isn't quite as exciting for me as playing in person. So I'm really looking forward to the day when we can get together and, and play in person again. Uh, and that's it. You know, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing people, like actually seeing people and going places without without worrying about it. Mm. So yeah, yeah. Not 2021, 2022. Yeah, 2022 <laughs> is then when that's going to happen. Honestly. Like yeah, I have yeah. my, my birthday's coming up this week and I and I made reservations at a restaurant and I, I invited a very small group of people and a couple of them are are basically at risk because they're older. And I said, Look, this is just an invitation because I'm being polite. Because <laughs> I and because I'd like your company, but I would rather you live to drink another day with me, right? So so if you need to refuse, I am totally down with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah. I would rather and I and I'm almost like, prefer it, right? Yeah. yeah, I would almost prefer it. So um, yeah, I'm excited for for when we do get back to to actually hanging out with people without worrying about that stuff. Yeah, the the question is is posed in in uh, the present tense, something that is currently happening that you're excited about. But there's nothing I don't think in the current circumstances there's anything wrong with us um, being excited yeah. about things <laughs> in the future. Uh, but Mike, uh, how about you? Um, I got a couple of things that I'm kind of excited about. Uh, I'm putting together a Halloween costume that I think is going to be fun. Uh, I'm not going nice. to use it anywhere except at my office. Uh, <laughs> that works. <laughs> On Zoom calls. Oh, he's giving us the, the one second. Um, is he, I don't know if he's going to try and share a picture with the chat. Uh, I, I no. thought maybe a picture was coming. No, um, I accidentally ruined something I was working on, oh, uh, <laughs> editing an ebook, and my held down my push to talk key and just fucked up all the code. Um, oh, so well. I, my that what that was. Um, so there's that. Um, one of my freelance projects, I'm working with the local children's hospital and school of medicine on a gamified uh, pediatric clinical tool to help children who have survived oncological and hematological disorders um, with their uh, post-treatment care plans. So that's just a really engaging, exciting, like there, there's no, it's super cool to draw dragons, but it's way cooler to get to draw dragons and help kids who survived cancer. So okay, that's that. something I'm really, really looking forward to. Cool, man. Right on. Cool. Tim, how about you? Um, I'm really lucky that a lot of things that I would be excited about have all sort of toppled on, on onto me at once. That very recently, I I just recently got my own room at the tattoo shop, which is really exciting. Um, it's kind of like it's a promotion without being promoted. It's 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 the idea that I get to sort of like, I, I guess I solidified myself in my own space, and that feels really cool. 
Um, I am more than excited to have the opportunity to work alongside my wife, Bianca, who is an artist as well. Um, and that's one of the things that I think that's, it really, it makes the home, which is currently a weird studio slash sanctuary. It, 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 it it's being balanced in, in a, in the most interesting way, simply because I have that, I have, I have my wife to lean on, which is nice, you know? And so honestly, right now, like as far as future prospects, I'm going to echo what everyone's been saying, man. Let's, I can't wait to see a better year. I can't wait to start seeing people, um, you know, but, um, but truthfully, I am also just kind of focused on the positives that I have in front of me right now. You know, the work and fortunate work that I can do with everyone here um, with flavor text. I'm really excited about the tattooing I got coming up. I got some really cool and exciting uh, drawings that I'm working on. And as I mentioned, my rock, my strength, my wife being literally through that wall is fantastic mm. too. So, and we can, we can share ideas and work side by side and, you know, and, and, and definitely, you know, kind of progress together, which is nice. That's exciting. Moose, I don't want you to feel left out. I I got a rare opportunity to answer that question myself. Do you, you got anything? Damn. I was just about to interject like a wine, like nobody ever cares what I'm thinking. <laughs> There you go. No, but uh, as soon as COVID's over, I wanted. To, uh, I didn't ever have a big desire to travel, but after this, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I want to travel. I want to go to Europe or something. Mm -hmm. Same part. Amen. As soon as they let us back in, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, like, hopefully, nothing too crazy happens with this election, and then they just uh, 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 sequester us away to be our own, like a little. Uh, what's it called? A uh, a leper colony I was forever, say we're, right? Where America's already oh, on, America, on the, the, plague, the plague island. Yeah, we're yeah. already on the world shit list many times over. It's like right. it would be just a fucking perfect pin the tail on the donkey to get like some political. Anyway, never mind that. Thank you guys. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. This was so much fun. Um, I love you guys. Thank I you. love talking to you guys so much. And we're gonna talk to each of you again soon. So everybody, stay tuned. For that um, a quick mention about next week uh, we're going to be talking to Sal uh, another fellow streamer friend of the podcast known as uh, the dark cloak on twitch and we're going to be talking a lot about being a jack of all trades how to get it all done imposter syndrome uh, wide-ranging but you know very pertinent to the all of the plights of the artist so I'm back for that one um, yeah thank you guys again I'm gonna sign it off there you guys have a great one thank you it's been thank a you. pleasure all right take care guys